Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. After Solomon died, the kingdom of Israel was terribly ripped into two. There was rebellion within the royal family, and one of Solomon's sons, Jeroboam, left and went north to rule the northern portion of the kingdom, and a man named Rehoboam stayed in Jerusalem in the southern portion. And so the kingdom is divided then in two. The northern portion is known as Israel, and the southern portion is called Judah, where Jerusalem is. After a number of years, more kings come through, and eventually King Ahab comes to power in the northern territory of Israel. King Ahab is the one who is married to Jezebel, and he is described as one of the worst kings. In fact, the author of the book that we call First Kings in the Bible describes Ahab as doing more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any other king prior to him. After the author talks about Ahab and Jezebel and this national turmoil that's going on, it is then that he begins to write about Elijah. Elijah is this impressive man of God, this man of power, this one who seems to be unstoppable. God is working obviously and powerfully through him and even for him. God comes to Elijah and tells him there's going to be a drought on the land. And to go to Ahab and tell him that the drought is coming and that rain will not be until Elijah gives the word for it. And it happens. During that drought, God sends Elijah to the Kareth ravine to feed him by ravens, bringing him food and by a brook of water that flows through that ravine. Eventually, the brook dries up, but God continues to provide for Elijah. He sends him away to the land of Zarephath, and he finds a widow who is gathering sticks and despairing because she and her only son are headed to the grave because there's no more food. And yet Elijah shows up and he says, the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil that you have in those jars at home, it's not going to run out at all. And it doesn't. They are provided for, and even when devastation falls on that widow's house and her only son dies, Elijah takes the boy, prays, and God hears Elijah's prayer and raises him from the dead, right? Elijah is this impressive, almost it seems unstoppable hero of the faith. And all the while this is going on, Jezebel back in Israel is killing the prophets of Yahweh. God sends Elijah to go and present himself before Ahab, right? Before this one who is being murderous towards God's people. And Elijah goes. And we end up with this event that takes place on Mount Carmel. Some of you might be familiar with this. All the prophets of Baal are gathered together and they create an altar. And Elijah also creates an altar. And they have a contest. Each group is supposed to pray to their God, and whichever one answers with fire on the altar, that is the one true God. The prophets of Baal, they pray, they do their rituals, they even beat themselves, and nothing happens. Elijah has water dumped on the altar multiple times and then prays, and it ignites with fire. Yahweh is the one true God. He is working obviously for and through this prophet Elijah. Ahab goes home after that event, tells his wife Jezebel what happened because Elijah had all the prophets of Baal killed. And Jezebel is furious. 
She wants blood for blood. She wants life for life. And she threatens Elijah's life with death. And this hero of the faith, right, this man who is working obviously through the power of God, this unstoppable prophet, runs. He's scared. He heads south. He leaves the territory where Ahab and Jezebel live. And he goes south from Israel into Judah. But he doesn't stop. He keeps running and he goes south all the way to the southern border of Judah to the city of Beersheba. He leaves his servant there and he keeps going south. He leaves the promised land altogether and goes out into the desert. God has not told him to run. He has not told him to leave for refuge. He flees to the desert and he finds a broom tree and he sits under it and he says, Enough. I'm done. Kill me now, Lord, because I am no better than my father's. And he lies down and he goes to sleep. Again, God did not tell Elijah to flee. This isn't like the Kareth Ravine. Elijah isn't seeking refuge. He's not given a promise that ravens are going to show up and give him food. He is not seeking refuge. He is seeking death. He flees and he wants to die. But as he is sleeping, an angel shows up and touches him. He says, get up, Elijah. The journey is too much for you. Eat. And there is this small meal, apparently, of bread and water. He eats and he falls back asleep. Again, the angel touches him, says, get up. Eat. The journey is too much for you. And there's more bread and water. And sustained by that food, he goes 40 days further into the desert till he gets to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. God's faithful people are not immune to despair. We at times may look at our lives and we can interpret things, right? We look at our lives and it's like, wow, finances at times seem to be going well. Family relations are running smoothly. Jobs are going just fine. And we interpret these things and say, look, God is blessing God is active and powerful, and I see it in my life. But then there are also these other times where something happens and it all comes crashing down. An email from an employer opening a surprise bill in the mail, getting a phone call from a family member, and suddenly something happens and we find ourselves in this place of despair. And maybe it's not even an event. (laughs) Maybe for some it's just this daily waking to this place that seems of darkness, this life that feels void and maybe full of lack of a meaning, rather. God's people are not immune to despair. And we come into a place like this for worship. What do we hear? We hear stories of Elijah, this man whom God spoke to, whom God worked for and through, obviously and powerfully. And we hear all these miraculous things God does for and through Elijah, And we look at our lives, or maybe at the lives of others, if we're not experiencing a despair, and we wonder, is God actually here? We pray and we beg, we say, God, do something, change this situation. Or if maybe we're not experiencing despair, we see other people and we say, change that situation, send a miracle, do something. You fed Elijah, you sent an angel to him, he didn't even ask for it, God, and here I am asking for help and sustenance. And yet we wake in the morning and we see no angel by our bed. 
There's no miraculous meal of food there to sustain us or help us out of that situation. We may wake again and again to this place of despair. But God sustains his people. And God meets his people in those even darkest of moments. It just might not be what we hoped for or what we wanted. God doesn't necessarily send an angel to everybody. He doesn't send these miraculous moments to sustain us as we might hope. Instead, he has sent his son. The son of God has come in the flesh and come into this creation, into this place where despair can abound. He enters into Jerusalem, into the place where he should be king, but he is spit on and they hate him and they make his life a living hell and they kill him. They actually rob Jesus' life of meaning, right? That's what death does. It ends that person's life and it ends any possibility of continuing their work. They rob Jesus' life of meaning. And in that place that just doesn't seem hopeless but is a place of hopelessness, in that place where there is not a single beam of light, God works. Resurrection. He raises Jesus from the dead. He brings Jesus back to life that he may continue his work, that he may give his life meaning not only for himself, but for the entire world. He brings him back to life and brings him into this eternal life, into this place of eternal joy. And now Christ continues to announce that promise of eternal life and joy even to you and to me. But this is a challenging part of being a Christian person. And many of you have heard me say this before. The promise of God is not yet fulfilled. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He talks about how Jesus is the only one who has been raised from the dead so far. Nobody else has attained to the resurrection except for Christ. He is the only one who has entered into that fullness of eternal life and eternal joy The promise isn't yet fulfilled. We still live in a time in this creation in which despair can abound, in which moments can snap us and crash us down into a place of darkness, or we we may wake day after day into a place of trouble. But as we live in the midst of that place where despair can abound, we live with a promise. It won't always be so. It won't always be so. It may be for now, but it will not always be so. Christ will return. The dead will be raised. Eternal life and eternal joy will abound. It has begun in the very body of Jesus, and we trust God will bring it forth to its fullness. This may not always be what we want, but God continues to sustain and provide for his people. Christ himself in our gospel reading says, My words are eternal life. And those words come to us in all sorts of ways to continue to provide for us. His words come to us through the waters of baptism, and he continues to sustain us as his baptized children by giving us the Spirit, right? And by the Spirit, God dwells in us no matter what is going on, no matter how we are feeling. The promise is that Christ is somehow there in the Spirit, and that we are therefore also connected with him. 
We have that promise through baptism. The words, these words of life of Christ come to us even in this meal today. It may not be what we want because I think if we're honest, we want Christ standing in this room, making everything okay. It's not what we get. Instead, we trust that it's enough that he feeds us with his body and blood through this bread and wine to continue to sustain us as his people. The words of life that come from Christ, they come to people and they work through people. Sometimes we may not even recognize it, but there may be actions or words of others that are actions of love and care. And we trust that this is Christ working as well. This doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. In fact, some of you may even be hearing these things and say, this all sounds really nice, but I don't feel any different. It might not actually change how we're feeling. Or we might even look at our lives and think, I don't see people that are caring for me. I don't necessarily see people that are helping me. I'm feeling alone. That can indeed happen. And sometimes we may need to also go to other places for help. Sometimes therapy may be a good help. Sometimes medications may be needed to help with these things. Some of you actually know this, but I've been seeing a therapist for the last number of years. I've been on medication for the last year because things like depression and anxiety are very real and they are very, very hard. Elijah in that story where he flees down to the desert to Mount Horeb, I didn't tell you what happens next. He gets down to Mount Horeb and you know what he does? He starts talking to God, but he doesn't say, God, I had it all wrong. I see that you were there the whole time. He's angry. He is fed up. He is worn out that he has been faithful and he's been trusting God. And suddenly there is all of this death of all of the prophets. Right? Just because we believe in God and trust in him, just because we trust that God really does provide for us, doesn't mean that everything is going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything is just going to seem fine every day. Right? We see this with Elijah. But what Elijah is given is a promise. God continues to see and he continues to care. And what we have in Christ is continued words of promise. In our reading today, we hear Jesus say, My words are eternal life. All who come to me and feed upon me, all who trust in what I say and who I am and what I do, they have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. We may hear those words spoken to Elijah we heard before. The journey is too much for you. Sometimes that's absolutely right. It is. And we need help from others. But as we hear those words, we also hear the words of God in Christ. As Jesus reminds us, the Father is drawing you to himself. Right? No matter what happens when we wake in the morning, no matter what situations may take place that are very real and maybe very hard, or that we see happening in the lives of others, the promise of Jesus is that he is drawing us as his people continually to himself in love. And so we find ourselves in a challenging place, but also still standing with the church, with Peter and with all those that have come since. Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have come to know and to believe that you are the Holy One of God. May God continue to work to sustain us in that faith. Amen.